podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. Today is Thursday. It is November the second, and of course, it's piss and rain. So we had Carabao Cup action last night. We're going to start with my club. Liverpool went to Bournemouth, and in the eyes of a storm, one two one. The weather was appalling and didn't help either team who wanted to play football. Uh, it was near impossible to play any pass that wasn't just drilled along the floor. But I think overall, Liverpool were the better side on the night. Now, Bournemouth played well, and I think they can take some confidence from that game. Liverpool come away with the win thanks to a Darwin Nunes screamer, and they move on to the quarterfinals. Also moving on will be West Ham United, who will face Liverpool 
in said quarterfinal. The Hammers played Arsenal last night and comprehensively outclassed them uh, to their credit. A Ben White own goal, God only knows what he was thinking. Mohamed Kudus made it two on 50. Jared Bowen made it three on 60 with the aid of a slight deflection. Martin Odegaard did get one back late in stoppage time, but Arsenal were pretty much outclassed for the entire game. Certainly outfought. Arsenal are not a team that likes when other teams are really physical against them. I thought Kudus was excellent in that game, and his goal was just a, a glimpse of what he's capable of. Incredible first touch and a great finish. So we get Liverpool versus West Ham as our first quarterfinal. We will also have Everton, who beat Burnley 3-0. Really good performance from Everton. Now, they went pretty much full strength. The only change from their League 11 was Danjuma stepping in for Dekure. But Tarkovsky put them one up on 13. Onana made it two on 53. I love that kid. He is he is going to be something outstanding. And Ashley Young made it three in stoppage time for a good win for Everton. And they will face Fulham, who overcame Ipswich by three goals to one. Harry Wilson, Rodrigo Munez, and Tom Kearney getting the goals. Baggett got one back for Ipswich, but to no avail. We'll get Port Vale against Borough in the third quarterfinal. Those were the two winners in Tuesday night's games. So we will have lower league representation in the semifinals, which I think is a very positive thing. And then the last quarterfinal, we'll see Chelsea, who overcame Blackburn by two goals to nil, Badi Ashile, who's just back from injury and looked quite good, and Raheem Sterling getting the goals. Now, again, Blackburn are lower league, so Chelsea were expected to win that, and to their credit, they went and got the job done. They will take on Newcastle at Stamford Bridge in the final quarterfinal. Almiron... Lewis Hull and Joe Willock, the goal scorers, as Newcastle went and had themselves a good old, old, good old time at Old Trafford, beating United comfortably, raising the pressure on Eric Ten Hag, causing the boos to ring out around Old Trafford. United were never in the game. Newcastle rotated heavily. Now, so did United. But, like, let's look at this United team. Onana in goal. 50 million. Delow right back, 15. Maguire, 80. Lindelof, 30. Regulon's in on loan, but I think Spurs paid like 25 for him. Casemiro cost 60. Mount cost a better part of 60. Anthony cost over 80. Mejbri and Garnacho came through the academy, and Martial cost 50 million quite a long time ago. That's a very expensive team. That's not a team that should be as bad as they were last night. That is a team with Eric Ten Hag's fingerprints all over it, though. Onana was his signing. Regulon was his signing. He has made Delo his first choice right back. Casemiro and Mount were his signings. Anthony was his signing. And Mejbri and Garnacho are the players that he has taken from the academy and really given opportunities to. They're the ones he's put real faith in. Now, I saw a lot of negative comments about Mejbri 
after last night's game, a few people calling him a thug. I think if United had more players with his desire to do well for the club, his desire to actually win games for the club, I think they'd be a lot better off. That team had Ten Hag's fingerprints on it. When you look at the bench, Amrabat, his signing. One, um, Hoysland, his signing. Ericsson and Beinder didn't come on. But Bruno Fernandes is the guy he made captain. Rashford came on, didn't play well. United had a fairly strong team last night, when, especially when those subs came on. Whereas you look at Newcastle, Livermento has barely played in the last year and a half after the ACL tear. Emil Kraft is just back from an ACL tear. Paul Dummett is well below the level of a Premier League player at this stage of his career. Injuries and lack of game time have really hurt him. Lewis Hall, he's barely played this season. A midfield of Longstaff and Willock. Matt Target was Matt Target and Hall kind of both played left wing and switched and swapped roles. Um, Jolington in midfield as well. Gordon and Richie. Like, if you look at that, Kraft was seen as a flop until Eddie Howe got there. So Dubravka had fallen off a cliff. Matt Target has struggled for game time. Longstaff people were writing off. Jolington people were writing off. Richie people had written off. And Eddie Howe's getting a tune out of all of these players. Now he did, he was able to bring on Trippier, Wilson, Almiron. Almiron had to come on early. Dan Byrne and Gamera. He was able to bring them off the bench and they're all players who are either starters or in his first kind of 12 to 13. But the starting 11s, United's is stronger than Newcastle's. If you go man for man, United's is just stronger. Now you take, let's say we count Target as the left back. You take Livermento over Delo, but it's it's not big. It's not a big gap at this point. Now it will become a big gap as Livermento develops, but Delo is good. Like Maguire and Lindelof should be a better centre back pairing than Kraft and Dummett. They just should, and they've certainly played together a lot more. Like Emil Kraft and Paul Dummett are glorified fullbacks. They're not really centre backs. Ideally, they're probably the right and left sided ones in a three. But they're more fullback in a four than centre back in a four. So it's very much a patchwork defence. The midfield have played together a fair bit, Willock, or yeah, Willock, Longstaff, and um and Jolington. It's great to see Joe Willock back and scoring. Longstaff was was excellent again last night. He's in tremendous form at the moment. But like that, that's not a stronger midfield than Casemiro Mount and Mesh. Just isn't. And in attack, you've got Let's say Richie, Gordon, and Hall. We'll, we'll count them as the attacking three. Anthony, Martial, and Garnacho should be better than that. They should be. Man for man, they're more talented. Anthony's a better player than Richie. Martial's a better player than Gordon. And Garnacho's more natural as a winger than Lewis Hall is. Lewis Hall's better when he's a bit deeper. If you were doing the thing that people don't like, a combined 11 of that, those two teams, I mean, Onana over Dubravka, Livermento, and then the other three United defenders, 
Casemiro, Mount and Willock as a midfield three. Anthony, Martial and Garnacho. If you want to play Lewis Hall as the left back, I'd have him over Aguilon, but you know, whatever. There's there's only like four Newcastle players getting into that. United had a stronger team out last night, and United brought on Fernandez, Rashford, and Hoysland. Like, there's no excuse for them to lose in the way they did. I read today it's the first time in over fifty years that they've lost back to back home games by three goals or more. This season, they've played 15 games across all competitions and lost eight of them. They've lost five times at Old Trafford. And not to rehash, but I've been over this. Look at the games they've won. They've been very, very fortunate. They should have lost to Forest. They should have lost to Brentford. And they should have lost to Wolves. At the very least, those games should have ended in draws. So they've been very fortunate. And they're still this bad. And I don't know what the answer is because it's easy to say you sack the manager. And who do you hire? Like, who's out there that's going to want this job? Zidane? I doubt it. Conte? Maybe. But, I mean, it's not really an Antonio Conte squad of players. Like, you could play a back three. Lindelof, Varane, and Shaw with Regulon as a wing back. But then Conte didn't fancy Regulon at Spurs. So do you go Malasia? Do you put Shaw's the left left wing back where his, his fitness is going to be an issue? By fitness, I mean the fact that he gets injured quite a bit, not that he's not a a fit footballer, but he gets injured quite a bit and you're going to be taxing him a lot playing him as a wing-back. DeLow fits well as a right wing-back. I think you'd have to go DeLow and Malasia. And then it's either Shaw or Martinez on the left side. And I mean, I'd rather have Luke Shaw. I think he's a better defender. Uh, Martinez is a better passer of the ball. And he's probably a little bit better as a 1v1 defender. And Conte does like to have a really good 1v1 defender in his back three. So maybe you just go Shaw as a wing back. You try and rein in what he's asked to do. Then in midfield, do you sit Ericsson as the deepest one to be the playmaker? And then push Casemiro a bit further forward. You could do that, but he doesn't have the legs to do it anymore. So he's sort of got to be the deepest one by default. Then Conte's going to want a powerful runner in that two ahead. So you're going to have to play Scott McTominay along with Bruno. And I don't know that Conte will take kindly to Bruno's particular brand of temper tantrums. So would he play Mount and leave Bruno out? It's possible. I do think Hoysland and Rashford as a two could be lethal. But then what do you do with Anthony, Sancho, Garnacho, Palestri, Ahmed Diallo? None of them fit in a Conte team. Unless Garnacho fancies been a wing back, which, I mean, the guy, the kid works hard, so he'd probably do it. 
if you asked them to. It's not the best use of them, though. So Conte doesn't really fit with this group of players. You'd have to buy a whole load of new players. You're probably going to need to do that anyway, but still, like you're going to ask them to take over a mess and not be able to touch it probably till next summer in terms of new additions. I just don't see Zidane taking it. I mean, Graham Potter, he didn't cope well with the pressure at Chelsea. And there's less pressure at Chelsea than there is at United. United's a much bigger club. The fans are equally as demanding, if not more so. The owners aren't. So that could be a help. But the media coverage of United is 10 times what it is of Chelsea. Now, could Potter go in there, play a 4-2-3-1 like he likes to do? Would it be any different to what we see this manager do? Let's not forget that the biggest issue with Graham Potter football is an inability to score goals. Everything looks great up until the final third, and then it breaks down. United can't score goals as it is. They've only scored 11 goals in the league this season. So I don't know who's out there at the moment. Like, Deserby's not taking that job. I don't think Ruben Amram would take that job right now, not with sporting top of the league. I think he'd be mental to take it as is anyway. Like, if United want to want to change manager, the first thing they need to do is get rid of the manager, hire a really good sporting director, like a really good sporting director who can come in and be your ultimate decision maker and then have him make the decision on who the coach is going to be and have it very clear from the off that you're the coach, you're the manager, but this guy is your boss and he's going to make decisions regarding recruitment because the biggest issue with Ten Hag has been that his recruitment has been terrible and his fingerprints are all over. Like he has openly said, these are all his signings. And if we look at the signings, I I don't think it reads pretty for United. They were awful last night. Newcastle were good. Newcastle deserved to be through. So we've got four interesting quarterfinals. They do take place on the 19th of December. As a Liverpool fan, I'm hopeful that if we beat West Ham, we get the winner of Chelsea-Newcastle. Because I think then that leads to the a, a preferable final where it's you know one of Everton, Fulham, Port Vale or Borough. If that's the case, you go into that final very, very confident. Um, you go in confident against Chelsea and Newcastle as a Liverpool fan, but Newcastle are a very good team. And Chelsea, they just have a habit of making things very awkward for Liverpool. We're going to do the news and gossip first, go to break, and then we'll come back for questions. Uh, Crystal Palace are optimistic that Eberichi Eze will sign a new contract according to Roy Hodgson. So that's obviously very positive news for Palace. If they can get that one done on top of the uh, summer extension for Elise, I think that would be would be really positive for the club. Uh, a lot of stuff going on with regards to Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, but the biggest news is that Pedro Neto, the injury sustained at the weekend against Newcastle doesn't seem to be as bad as was first feared. Now, Gary O'Neill initially said he hoped it wasn't quite as bad as it seemed, and Neto seems to have confirmed that on social media. 
So hopefully, fingers crossed, he's back quite soon because he's been one of the most enjoyable players in the league this season. Wolves sporting director Matt Hobbs has been charged with misconduct by the Football Association relating to an incident which occurred after the draw against Newcastle. Uh, He is alleged to have used insulting and inappropriate language towards the officials. And frankly, I agreed with the officials' decision, so I'm not going to say too much. Um, This is the type of story that really annoys the piss out of me. So Jamie Arnold, who is a Wolves fan from Stone in Staffordshire, was arrested at a game in May of 2021, charged with racially abusing Rio Ferdinand, who was working at the game, wasn't playing, was just there doing a job, doing it badly, but doing a job. And has now been convicted and will be sentenced in December. And I hope he goes to prison for it, to be honest. He made gestures and comments towards Ferdinand. And uh, frankly, there's just no place for that type of behavior in any society. That is shameful. And I very much hope that Jamie Arnold spends Christmas in prison and good enough for him. Uh, Back to a positive story. Henri Lansborough, or Henry Lansborough, I call him Henri because it's H-E-N-R-I. Even though he's English, I just decided to call him Henri, uh, who retired a few years ago, or last year, last year maybe, has revealed that he overcame testicular cancer back in 2016. And he is now advising men to, you know, check themselves and go and get checked. And that's all very positive. On to the gossip, because I don't think there's anything else to cover. Let's see now. Eric Ten Hag has vowed to fight on. Uh, We do have a little bit of news here. Rodrigo has signed a contract extension, Real Madrid, which will keep him at the club until 2028. So that's obviously very positive for Real and for the player. He was signed for huge money as a as a teenager. And with the news that Vinicius extended earlier this week and now Rodrigo, that is Real getting some long-term housekeeping in order. Uruguay and Gremio forward Luis Suarez is set to join into Miami in 2024, where he will be reunited with former Barca teammates Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. So that's all very good. Chelsea and Arsenal are both interested in signing Ivan Tony after Brentford confirmed they would sell the 27-year-old at the right price. The, the Bees value him at $100 million, but intend to keep him until the end of the season. If they get 70 in January, they'll sell. Manchester United are continuing to send scouts to watch 24-year-old Portuguese goalkeeper Diogo Costa, who they were linked with before signing Andre Onana. But he will only leave Porto if United pay his 65 million release clause. How hilarious would it be if having just spent 50 million on a goalkeeper, they went and dropped 65 on another one? 
Real Madrid have identified Alfonso Davies as a key target and are confident of agreeing a deal with his current club, Bayern Munich, to bring him to La Liga next summer. Real Madrid will compete with Liverpool and Manchester United for Goncalo Inacio of Sporting Lisbon. Interesting. Newcastle are interested in Gabri Viega, who joined Saudi Arabian club Al-Ali from Celta Vigo in the summer. That seems a little fishy to me. Just seems a little fishy. Arsenal lining up a move for Benjamin Sesko, who rejected Manchester United last summer and instead joined RB Leipzig. I don't know that Arsenal have the finances to pull that deal off, given their current crunch against the profit and sustainability rules. Um, Inter Milan sporting director Piero Asilio has accused Romelu Lukaku of lacking respect, respect while opening by opening talks with Juventus while negotiations between Chelsea and Inter were ongoing. He was just desperate to get out of Chelsea. That's as simple as that. And you were taking your sweet time. Everton are already keen to sign Jack Harrison on a permanent deal. That makes sense. Manchester United are interested in Galatasaray and France right-back Sasha Bowie, with Arsenal, Brighton and Burnley also interested. I think Brighton is the best move for him. United have DeLoe and Wambasaka. They're not great, but they're serviceable. Arsenal have White, Timber to come back, and Tomiyasu. They don't need another right back. He's too good for Burnley, but I think Brighton would be a really good fit. I think he'd fit really well in that defence and give them some real pace on that side as well. Former Brighton boss Graham Potter could become the next Swedish manager after reports suggested Manchester United were interested in him replacing Eric Ten Hag, which I've just been over. Real Madrid have no intention of allowing Aurelien Chouameni to leave the club despite interest from Arsenal and Liverpool in the 23-year-old. They probably don't, but I mean, Graham Bailey wouldn't have the first clue if they did. Manchester City and Belgium midfielder Kevin De Bruyne says he will have a major scan on his hamstring injury next week, which will show how his recovery is progressing. City could use him back. They do look a little bit stagnant going forward without him. There's just a little bit of a little bit too much pumping into Haaland and let's hope for the best going on. And while Foden is playing well and Doko's playing well and uh, Alvarez is playing well, none of them have the creative genius of, of KDB. So, yeah, the sooner City get him back, the better it will be for them. Uh, and that will do... For now, we will take a break and when we come back, we'll get into the questions. I think there's only four of them. I think one one or two of them might have two parts, but we'll get through them. See you after this. Right, welcome back. So it is questions time and the first questions come from Mr. Guy Drinkle. Why has French football never had its moment in the sun? Considering the talent that's come from that country, you think it would have had a few years as the best league. And you would. The problem is, it just never had the financial backing across the board. You've always had a couple of mega rich owners, but never any kind of real parity. And there was always a couple of a couple of clubs that, really financially just couldn't contribute to a strong league. You also never had 
the money being pumped in for TV rights. For whatever reason, I don't really know why. Maybe it's because there's no real glamour club. Like, PSG and Marseille are big clubs. Lyon are a big club. But they're not globally big clubs. You know, they don't have those global fan bases the way Real and Barca do, the way Bayern do, the way Juventus and the two Milan clubs do. They don't have that sort of driving force of a couple of clubs who bring that huge global audience. Like in the Premier League, there's United, there's Liverpool, there's Arsenal, who historically have all had massive global fan bases. Chelsea and City have grown global fan bases, obviously, in recent years because they've attracted new fans through their success. So that's a big part of it. There isn't the outside demand for French football. So the TV companies, and in particular, the foreign TV companies, like when Syria was at its pomp, you had those three big clubs and you had streams of players going to various clubs because a lot of Italian businessmen decided that they wanted to be involved in football. So they would buy clubs or invest in clubs. And they'd spend huge amounts of money. And it was almost like not a plaything for them, but it became almost like a secondary competition between those businessmen for whose team could have the most success. So you had all the great players from around the world going to Syria, which meant that on top of those three clubs that drew eyeballs anyway, you now had Parma, Fiorentina, the two Milan clubs, uh, the two Rome clubs rather, and Napoli obviously when Maradona was there, that were must-see TV for a lot of people. That's why you had American TV rights for the sport 30 years ago for a brief time. You had English TV rights for Italian football in the 90s. You know, when Gaza went there, for example, English people wanted to see more because they wanted to see Gaza. Argentinians wanted to watch because Maradona was there. A lot of Africans wanted to watch because George Whale was there. The French have never really had that ability to draw in players from outside either. They obviously, over the years, they had a couple. That Marseille team, the the Marseille match-fixing scandal was a hammer blow because in the early 90s, Marseille had obviously established themselves as one of the best teams in Europe, European Cup winners, and possibly could have kicked on from there and used that European Cup win to really draw in more and more stars from abroad. And that might have brought more eyeballs, that might have brought more interest, which then would have brought more TV revenue, which would have helped the whole league and then the rest of the league could start bringing in players from here, there and everywhere. And that's how you would have grown it. Serie A have always had, you know, any any player that grew up in the 80s or 90s will have had an affinity for Serie A, for those three big clubs, but also for some of the others. Then you've got Real and Barca, who are just two behemoths. 
so La Liga will always have global interest. And obviously the South Americans feel a lot of affinity for La Liga because it's a Spanish speaking league, because a lot of great players from South America have gone to Real and Barca and made their names and become superstars. And then the thing with the Premier League that gives it the biggest advantage is that it's English speaking. So while English is not everybody's first language, it's a lot of people's second language, as well as, you know, those who do speak it as a first language. So it's easy to sell the rights to English speaking, to, to, to the Premier League, to America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and then even to places like India, where English is spoken quite a lot. You know, there's... Unfortunately for the French, they just haven't had that ability to to turn a hotbed of talent into a, a great league. The inability to draw in foreign players, though, is a big thing. Like the same thing with the Premier League. If you look at the Premier League, what really made the Premier League explode in the 90s was the influx of foreign players. It wasn't because people wanted to watch the English players. It was Jurgen Klinsmann coming to England. Gianfranco Zola. It was Eric Cantona. Do you know, it was these players that we didn't know a whole lot about, like Cantona, who then became a superstar, or it was these global stars like Klinsman coming in and really bringing all the eyeballs. Like, in the, you can go back and check this historically. Interest in English football in Germany was basically none outside of the European Cup, pre-Klinsman. And then when Klinsman was in England, everybody wanted to watch it because it was Jürgen Klinsman. That's kind of what you need. You need to bring in global stars. And the French haven't been able to do that, bar PSG in recent years. And the issue is that nobody respects the way PSG have done it. They haven't built their club. They've bought their club. PSG was a big club, but it wasn't a global mega club. It's the same reason Chelsea and, and City will never have the same respect globally or the same type of fan bases globally as Liverpool, Arsenal, United. No matter how many times they try to falsify the numbers, it will always be those three historically big clubs. Now, maybe in 30 years, Chelsea will have that kind of historical respect as well because Abramovich is gone and people will just move on and forget. Uh, but... For City, I, I don't think it'll ever come. Um, second question from Guy. Taking your Liverpool hat off, who would you hire as manager for Manchester United? Because Ten, because Ten Hag is clearly not that guy. How big is the rebuild there? Is that squad actually redeemable or not? Who would I hire? Let's say I'm the sporting director. So I'm making the decision. And I'm also going to oversee an overhaul of the scouting department, the entire recruitment process, the academy, the loan system. I mean, Deserby is an easy sell to the fans because he plays such an attractive brand of football. Can you make Deserby ball work at United? Onana would work for Deserby. 
you'd get away with Delow or Wan Bissaka at right back because he uses Veltman there, who's not particularly, you know, good on the ball going forward. He's a good passer. He's not a he's not a great attacking player. Um, I think he'd play Luke Shaw as a as a centre back. Being honest, I think he'd go Varane and Shaw to have the ball playing. I think Martinez would be too small for him. But he might use Martinez as a holding midfielder, which I'd actually quite like to see. I don't know if he's quick enough, but he's certainly feisty enough. He'd use Malasia. I think he'd play Garnacho left wing. Bruno is a 10. Hoysland up front. I think he'd use Rashford on the right. That he does like a lefty on the right, which United don't really have other than Anthony, who's just not very good. I think he I think he'd use Mount and Martinez maybe as a double pivot. The problem is there isn't a creative passer in there. Bruno gets a lot of assists, but he's not a creative passer the way, say, Alexis McAllister was. And he's not he's also not a metronome passer the way Alexis was, the way Billy Gilmore is. But Ericsson could be that. So maybe you go Martinez and Ericsson, but it's very small and lightweight. And see, the problem is with the Zerbi's football, they're quite prone to being out-beasted. Out like physical teams cause them problems. Teams that have pace and power cause them problems. So it would if you brought in De Zerbi, you would need a significant rebuild. Like a very significant rebuild. You're talking at least one centre back, a right back, and a left back. At least one, at least two in midfield, and a right winger. You play Rashford then on the left, even though he's not an ideal Deserby left winger, because Deserby likes to have those really inventive dribblers. Your your Matomas, your Jeremy Bogas, those types. And Rashford's not that. Now, he could play Rashford as his 10 and maybe drop Bruno back into central midfield. So he could do that. Then you buy two wingers because Garnacho's talented, but he's not there yet. So two wingers, one in midfield, centre-back, a couple of full-backs, probably a goalkeeper. It's a lot. You're looking at six or seven players. Now, you could do it over time. But it would be a substantial rebuild for, let's just take Ruben Amram, who'd be my other choice. He's going to play one up, which will be Hoysland, two behind. I think he'd use Bruno and Rashford in those roles. That's your front three, one with two behind. He's going to need two wing backs. He'll need one in midfield because he can use Casemiro the way Casemiro is now, but he'll need a dynamic player next to him. So that's three he needs. Varane, Shaw, one centre-back. He'd want a different goalkeeper, though. So you're looking at five players. But probably not as expensive a five players as what De Zerbi would need. Because like with De Zerbi, you're probably looking at... Let's just say Michael Elise and 
and Matoma, that's a hundred million plus. I think you'd probably get the two wing backs, the midfielder, and the goalkeeper that Amram would want for that hundred million. Whereas it'd only get you, and I don't even think it'd get you Matoma and Alise. I think Amram would be my choice because I think the players he would require would be less expensive than the players that the Zerbi would require. Because Amram is the type of player who makes players fit. The Zerbi tries to, but they get exposed in his system. Because the Zerbi football needs everybody playing at a 7 out of 10 or better each and every week, or there's going to be a major flaw in the system. Amram can get away with a couple of 6 out of 10s. So I'd, I'd go Ruben Amram. He'd be my choice. But the first thing you'd need to do is make sure that the director of football, the sporting director, whichever you want to tag it as, is very, very competent at the job. And you'd also need to make sure that the position, because you, you can't just parachute in five new starters. You just can't. So you'd need to make sure that you address the positions in order of priority. So Malashi is not ideal as a wingback for a top club. He He's better suited as a wingback than a fullback, but he's not ideal for a top club, but he will be serviceable. Delo will be serviceable on the right. You just upgrade them in time. The midfield, that's the, the first order of business is getting that midfielder in. And the second order, well, actually, the first order of business might be the goalkeeper, but they're the first two two things, goalkeeper and midfielder, because he has patched together a defense over the years and done it brilliantly. I think he might want Diamande from Sporting. He'd probably be the expensive signing that he would, would want. But, I mean, he he could use Harry Maguire in the middle of a back three with Varane and, and Shaw either side of him. And he would have a solid baseline because he coaches the defense really well. Yeah, I'd go Ruben Amram. I think he'd be the one. I, th- I think he's the... He's the one who's got the most pragmatic approach. And I think he's also the one who will be very patient with young players and develop them. De Zerbi, he's good with young players, but he's not as... He doesn't commit to young to a, to a young player as much as Amram will. Like, Amram will let them play through bad form. De Zerbi won't do that. And it's just different methods. There's no right way or wrong way. It's it's different for everybody. Um, but yeah, Ruben Amram. Um, and, and yeah, five players as a minimum. Five as a minimum. Five to get the team to being competitive. Probably another... Three for the squad. So probably eight players overall, whereas I think the Zerbi probably needs 10 or more, 12 maybe for the squad. Um, right, Mikhail Campbell. 
Do you think the Ballon d'Or should be divided into separate awards based on positions to give a fair chance for a goalkeeper, a defender, or a defensive midfielder to win it? Uh, yes, I do. I think the given we have a Yashin Award, I think we should also have a Baresi or Maldini Award. Um, I think we should have a Mateus Award. You can have your overall Ballon d'Or. It's always going to go to a forward or an attacking midfielder now. Like, the one outlier in recent history is Cannavaro. Before that, it was Matthias Sammer. Um, with, you know, historically, it, it just goes to an attacking player. If we look through the history of it quickly, Stanley Matthews, winger, De Stefano, 9-10, Raymond Coppa, I mean, you couldn't be more of a forward player than him. He literally lived on the back shoulder of defenders. Um, De Stefano again, Luis Suarez, the the old Luis Suarez forward, uh, Omar Savori forward, Josef Masapust. He was an attacking midfielder. He was a bit more of an all-rounder than the previous winners, but he was still an attack-minded player. Um, Lev Yashin was a goalkeeper, so there we go. There's a goalkeeper winning it. Dennis Law was a striker. Eusebio was an attacker. Bobby Chant was an attacking midfielder. Uh, Florian Albert was a forward player. George Best was a winger. Giovanni Rivera was an attacker. Gerd Muller was a nine. Johan Cruyff was a forward. Beckenbauer wins it. So that's now two who haven't been primarily attacking players. And we are 16 years in. Um, from there, we go with Cruyff back-to-back. Oleg blocking another forward player. Beckenbauer wins it again. Alan Simonson wins it. He was a forward player. Back-to-back Kevin Keegan, forward. Back-to-back Rummenigge, forward. Paolo Rossi, Ford. Platini wins three in a row. He's an attacking midfielder with not a defensive bone in his body. Um, Belanov wins it, Ford. Rude Holdup wins it, attacking midfielder slash second striker. Van Basten wins it, nine. Lothar Mateus wins it. So now we have three who aren't attacking players. Four wins because Beckenbauer won it twice. But three players. Papan striker Van Basten nine. Um Baggio ten. Stoichkov stro- attacker. Weya a nine. Matthias Zammer as a sweeper. So that's four winners and five wins by non-attacking players. Then you go Ronaldo, Zidane, Ronaldo, Figo, Owen, Ronaldo. Nedved, attacking midfielder, Shevchenko, Ronaldinho. Then you get Cannavaro. That's five non-attackers. Kaka, attacking midfielder, Cristiano, Messi. Messi, 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 Cristiano, Cristiano, Messi, Cristiano, Cristiano. Luka Modric, central midfield. So we'll we'll take him, but he is obviously more attack-minded than defense-minded. But we'll take him as the sixth non-purely attacking player 
and the seventh non-purely attacking winner. And then we go Messi, Messi, Benzema, Messi. Um, I mean, in the entire history of the competition, which is pushing on for 70 years now, we've got seven wins by players that aren't final third players. And, you, you know, Luka Modric is far more attack-minded than Cannavaro, Zammer, Beckenbauer, Mateus, and, and Lev Yashin, obviously. So, yeah, I, I do think midfielders deserve their own award. Again, I would I would name it after Lothar Mateus. You could name the defenders one after Beckenbauer, even though I think Baresi and Maldini were better than him, but because he won it twice. So to do that, make a Beckenbauer award, make a Lothar Mateus award, and then just have your Ballon d'Or be the best final third player. Um, what's your assessment of Inter's season so far? Have they been great or is the standard of their competition in Syria poor? I would say a little from column A and a little from column B. I do think Syria's fairly, fairly poor this year. Now, Inter have been very good, so I don't want to take that away from them. Um, but I, I wouldn't say they've been tremendous. You know, eight wins, one draw, one defeat in the league. Twenty-five goals scored, five defeat, uh, five conceded. They beat Monza, they beat Cagliari, they beat Fiorentina, they beat Milan. Didn't break sweat in any of those games. Won away to Empoli, lost at home to Sassuolo, beat Salernitana. Their crap. Drew at Bologna, beat Torino, beat Roma. I mean, they've only played Milan from the the top five, the, you know, the other four teams in the top five this year. Um, then they played Fiorentina, who were are currently sixth. They have not played Lazio yet, who are seventh. They've played Bologna, they've played Roma, they've played Monza. So you're basically looking at Fiorentina and a bunch of you know middle to bottom half teams so far. So there's tougher tests to come. The next two, they've got Atalanta away. They're currently fourth, so that will be a big test. Then they go Frosinone home. Then it's Juve away, Napoli away, Udinese home, Lazio away. We'll know a lot more by them by, by the time they play Lecce on the 23rd because they'll have had four away games against really tough teams. They've also been helped by the fact that in their first 10 games, they have played six of them at home. So they've had a home-heavy schedule. So we'll see how that shakes out over the course of the season. Look, Champions League, they've been fine. It's an easy group. Sociedad are good, but not great. Benfica, pretty poor this year. And Salzburg, I mean, there's there's a, a large quality gulf between them and uh, an Austrian league team. But look, Jan Sommer's playing pretty well. De Vries looks a bit more like De Vries. Azerbi's doing Azerbi things. Pavard has been pretty good. DeMarco's been excellent. Darmian's been decent. Bastoni is outstanding. Um, Dumfries has been pretty good. Uh, Fratezzi's not played enough yet, but I think when he comes into the team, he can give them a boost. I, I don't think the Mkhitaryan form will hold. Chalonaglu, to me, is just always too hit and miss. Barella's been pretty good. I I, I have concerns with the lack of a true second goal scorer because for now it's Martinez and Turam up front 
And Tyram has started the season playing well, but I don't know that he'll continue to score enough goals. He's got four in 10 games in the league, five in 13 in all competitions. Martinez is also running very hot. He's got 12 and 13 this season. Now, he's coming off four really good years. 21 and 49, 19 and 48, 25 in 49 and 28 in 57. But his current pace is going to put him on about 55 and 60 or 50 and 55. He's not going to do that, obviously. So he's going to have a slowdown as well. But he's such a good player. He is such a good player. And he's really out to prove a point this year. I think they've been very good. I just think they've also had weaker opposition. This Juventus team won't scare anybody. Milan are fairly average. Atalanta are still trying to make the pieces fit. Napoli have taken a huge step back. Fiorentina are decent, but I mean, they're at best a Europa League team. You know, they're not going to scare anybody either. I'm quite excited to see how Atalanta develop as the season goes along with the new players they brought in in the summer, like the Ketelier, uh, Lukma, um Skamaka. Lukman's playing pretty well, actually. Uh, El Bilal Toure is the one I'm interested to see. He hasn't kicked a ball for them yet. I'm looking forward to seeing how he works with Skamaka. And then probably De Ketelier as a 10. Uh, I've been pretty impressed this season with the midfield pairing of Ederson and uh, Coop Miners. I think Ederson is one that a lot of clubs will start to look at after this season. I think he's been very impressive. Defensively, I mean, Toloi is decent. Jim City's decent. I really like Scalvini. Not hugely keen on any of the wing-backs, though. And I like Musso and goal. They've got to sort the wing-backs out and get at least one more centre-back in. But that could be a hell of a team if they can get things right. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I think Syria has been pretty poor. Uh, moving on, then, to our Discord questions. Uh, if Discord would load, it would be very, very nice. There we go. Question for the pod from Isaac Gilding. Can you make an 11 you think would stay in the Premier League for at least one season out of athletes that play or played any other sport? No time limit on this. Each player can be from any period. If that's not possible, what league do you think they could survive in? I'm going to say right away, I don't think there's any group of 11 people who have done anything ever in their lives that could survive in the Premier League if they weren't professional footballers at a very high level. I, I don't know that they'd survive in the championship. I think League One, maybe even League Two would be more realistic. Uh, but I'm going to put this team together anyway. So what I want to do, because I can't match talent and technique against everybody, what I can go is I can go pace and power. I can go really fast and I can go really, really big. That's what I can do. So up front, I am putting Shaquille O'Neal and I'm putting Blake Griffin. Shaquille O'Neal, because he is just going to monster every centre-back in the world, because he's 7-1, and in his prime, he was about 290, and most of it was just big slabs of muscle. And he had nifty feet for a big man. So I'm going to go with him, 
And I'm going to go with Blake Griffith because he's the most explosive leaping big I've ever seen. 6'9", could literally jump over a car. So all I'm aiming to do here is I'm aiming to get as many set pieces as I can. I'm going to put big lads in the box and I'm going to pump balls in on top of them. And they're going to have a huge advantage in terms of height and explosive leaping on normal footballers. On the wings, I'm going to go with Wayne Gretzky. I Speed for days. But I think if you can be that good at manipulating a hockey puck, I think I I think you can be coached to manipulating a football. So I'm going to go with him on one wing and I'm going to go with Usain Bolt on the other. Pure pace. I'm just looking to sprint in behind your fullbacks. In midfield, I'm going LeBron James, 6'8", maybe 6'9", built like a tank. Engine for days. Going to go with him. Next to him, I'm going to go with I think I'll go with Michael Jordan. Incredible athlete. Energy for days. Born winner. Refuses to lose. So he will just find ways to make things happen for you. So I'm going to go with him. Uh, I'm going Russell Westbrook as my right back. 6'4", maybe the best athlete that's ever competed in the NBA, just as an athlete, purely as an athlete. So we're going to go with him. Imagine him just bombarding up and down that wing all day. Plus at 6'4", he's another, like, he's basically Van Dyke at right back. So, you know, I'll go with him. Uh, on the other side, I will go. I kind of want a similar, similar sort. I want someone that can be that same type of explosive, powerful athlete. Derek Rose in his prime, maybe. I think I'll go with. I'll go with Terrell Owens. Yeah, I'll go Terrell Owens. No, do you know what? I won't. I'll go Deion Sanders. Not as big, but an obscene athlete. Incredibly quick. And the best shutdown corner that football has ever, NFL football has ever seen. So we'll go with him. Uh, centre-back, we're going Hakeem Olajuwon and Tim Duncan. Now, I'm going with intelligence and size here. So we're going to go with them. And then my goalkeeper, my goalkeeper, I'm going to go with, this is just come to me as I'm doing this. Uh, I I have never seen this gentleman. Let me just actually let me just check the height is going to be important here. Can't have him if he's five foot six. I think he might be. He looks pretty small. 
He's five foot four, so he's definitely not going to be in. Um, are they all going to be very small? Yeah. I was thinking I'll put a gymnast in goal because they'll be able to fling themselves through the air. But all of these gentlemen, I'm looking at the 10 best. uh, It's not official, obviously. It's just a list that somebody's put together of the 10 best gymnasts of all time. But all of them are like between 5'4 and 5'7. So I'll go Michael Phelps. Um, huge for starters. What is he? Six, seven. Michael Phelps. Maybe he's not that big. Maybe he's like six four. It's a disturbing picture. Uh, Michael Phelps six four. But I mean, he's used to diving, isn't he? So we're going to go with him. So could they stay in the division? No, no, definitely not. But. If I can work a few set pieces, all I need to do is train one of them. Maybe I should put a kicker in. Maybe I should put a kicker in the team. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave out... We're going to have Shaq come off the bench. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have Shaq come off the bench and I'm going to play Steve Nash as like a number 10 behind Blake Griffin. Because Steve Nash is actually very good at football. So if if I can just bundle my way to a few corners and then get Nash to deliver the ball into the box... I've got Westbrook, Duncan, Elijah one, Jordan, LeBron, and Blake Griffin, who are all at least six foot four. And a couple of them are seven foot. So all he needs to do is put the ball in a decent area, and I'm banking on one of them getting me a goal that way. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, but no, they wouldn't stay in the Premier League. No chance. Not, not a hope of it. Uh, last question then. AMK2889. Looking for three PSG 11s from you. The first 11 consisting of players bought before Qatar took the club over. The second of players who were bought during the current ownership. And the third of young players who were sold before being given a proper chance. Finally, out of those three teams... Which would you most like to manage? Okay, let's have a quick gander then. Uh, right, can I? I'm going to do the, the, the players bought under the current ownership first because it's easy, because a lot of them are still at the club. Um, so I'm going to go Donnarumma, Hakimi. Marquinhos, Scrinier, Lucas Hernandez, then we'll go Ugarten Verratti as a two, 
We'll go Dembele. Dembele and Mbappe as wingers. And then we'll play Messi just off Randall Colomuani. No, no, Zlatan. Messi off Zlatan. I know they don't get on, but yeah, Messi off Zlatan is the way. You could even play it as a front three with Messi, Zlatan and Mbappe. Drop Dembele. And your third midfielder. The third midfielder is awkward because it's not like they've had a bunch of great ones. That's always been sort of the weak point in that team. I'll go. Rabio came through the academy, so he doesn't count. No, I'll stick with what I did as a four-four-two. Um, academy eleven. So this is, you know, I'm assuming this is if they get, yeah, proper chance. So we're going to look at players who came through the academy and played, you know, a minimal amount of games. Um, right. Let me just grab a piece of paper so I can write down what I'm doing here. Goalkeeper might be a little bit tough. Can I count Ariola? Did he come through that academy? Pretty certain he did. He did. He came through their academy. He was at Clairefontaine, but he was taken from Clairefontaine out of their academy. So uh, he only got 70. He got 75 games over nine years. So I don't think he got a real opportunity, personally. He got one season as the kind of first choice. I'm going to go with him. I'm just going to take him as my goalkeeper because goalkeepers are always hard. Not a lot of top academies produce goalkeepers for whatever reason. Um, Right. Uh, Nianzu is going to be in my defense. Um, Hmm. Kingsley Coleman will obviously be on a wing. And Kunku will be in the team as a 10. We'll go Diaby on the other wing. I mean, does Javi Simmons count? We'll go with uh, Calamundo, who's at Ren, as our nine. We will go with... And Colin Dagba, he's still technically owned by them. He's just never going to get an opportunity. Stanley and Saki's going to be in this team. Arthur Zagre's probably going to be in this team. Yeah, so we'll go with Saki as the other centre-back. 
and we'll go with uh, with Zagre as the left back. That he's not he's not top class in the decision not to not to give him big opportunities has kind of been justified. Um, I'm probably going to play a winger as the other fullback because there's nobody else that's really that's really jumping out to me. Mishu's on loan, so he doesn't count. Fadiga? It's not bad. Do need a midfield. So... I I feel like Yassine Adley has to be in as one of my two central midfielders. Um... Fadiga as the other midfielder, maybe. He's pretty good. No, no. Timothy Pembele. I mean, he's not bad. Could I stick him in at right back? I think I will. Pembele, and then one more in midfield. Um, there's no one that's really jumping out that screams uh, has to be in this team. Rabio did get a lot of opportunities, and he he decided to leave. He didn't get pushed out or anything. Um, Colin Dagba's not good enough Toffleep no no definitely not no Jonathan Ocone I do like Jonathan Ocone but I've already got my my wingers set Um. Ruiz Attila, I mean, he's 21, he's without a club and his contract was terminated one year into a three-year deal. So clearly something else there that's not not worth the hassle. Um, do you know who we'll go with? We'll go with uh, Eric Jr. Dina Mbembe, who is at Eintracht Frankfurt. And he looks pretty impressive from what I've seen so far. So we'll go with him. Uh, Mbembe. Uh, right, uh, Ibimbi, Ibimbi, I think is how you actually say it. Um, so there we go. Ariola, Pimbele, Nianzu, Nsaki, Zagre, Adli, Ibimbe, Diaby, Nkunku, Coleman, Kalamundu. The front four are tremendous. The rest of it, eh, it's all right. You wouldn't be, um, you wouldn't be getting overly excited by it, I don't think. You could, but it'd be weird if you did. Um, right, let's look then at so players signed. So players signed before this ownership. Right. 
just for accuracy's sake, when did these owners buy the club? Was it 2011? Yeah. So anyone that arrived at the club prior to 2011. So we're going Bernard Lama will be the goalkeeper. Actually, you know what? My other midfielder, I'm going to go with a midfield three. I'm dropping Dembele. Give me Blas Matuidi as my third midfielder. So Ferrati, Ugart, Matuidi as a midfield three, Messi, Zlatan, and Mbappe as a front three. Give me that. Um, right. Okay, so Rai will be in this team because I loved Rai. Ronaldinho will be in this team. George Weah will be in this team. JJ Akacha will be in this team. So that's going to be my front four. And they can just figure it out as they go. Luis Fernandez, legendary French midfielder. He will be in central midfield. And next to him... Paul McGuinn seems the the obvious one to go with. McGuinn seems the obvious choice here. We might come back to that. Um, I suppose they could play Rai in in midfield, which would solve some issues for me. Yeah, that's what I'll do. We put Rai in central midfield with Fernandez. JJ's going to play as the 10. Ronaldinho off the left. In attack. Hmm. In attacking, attacking midfield. Jerome Rockin, I mean, I loved him, but I don't think he's good enough. Oh, I could put McAuley in. To be fair, McAuley was no, he's right at the end of his career. Um, Jerry Menez, definitely not. Oh, David Ginola, easy. Yeah, we go Ginola right wing, Ronaldinho left wing, Okocha as a 10 behind George Weah, Rai and Fernandez in midfield. That leaves us needing a defence. So, Bruno and Gotti seems an obvious pick. Gabriela Heinze seems a fairly obvious pick. Could I go Mamadou Sacco? Could I interest you in a little bit of Sacco? Probably not. You've probably seen him play. I love Sacco, but yeah, he's a bit too a bit too wild and rambunctious for this uh this purpose. Um Philogette, I suppose, has to win at centre back. 
We'll put hindsight left back. We'll go and got he right back. And our other centre back then. Hmm. I don't want to go with anybody too. I mean, God, he could be a centre-back and I could go with somebody else at right-back. But I think I'll just go with Ngotti at right-back, Heinz at left-back, Philogé in centre-back. Um, let's... Paul, Eric Renault, Jale, no, Maureen, no. God, this is slim pickings. Mario Yepes, I mean, he was really good, but. Don't really have all that many memories of him as a PSG player. He did play there for four years. He's a bit too mental for me. Um, let's see. Who else could we go with? Let's see. Rosenal, no. Pochettino, no. Most of these guys came before, came after the ownership. <clears throat> um, it is slim pickings here in terms of defenders, it must be said. This is grim. This is genuinely a grim list of, of defenders historically. We go with him purely because of who his son is. He's only there two years. We'll go with Jan Jorkaev. Purely on the basis of his son is one of my favourite players of all time. So we'll play Ngotti at centre-back. And we'll put Jorkaev in a right-back. Uh, in terms of who I'd like to manage, um, I love the midfield and attack of the historic team but give me the modern team all day long <laughs> Messi <laughs> Messi alone is enough Messi and Bappe Zlatan yeah I, I take that I take that for sure and that's it folks that's all I've got for today thank you as always for listening and I will see you tomorrow take care bye bye
Social Podcast Network.